Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of the Global Heart Failure Academy and is brought to you by Medtelligence. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Patients with heart failure are at increased risk of iron deficiency, irrespective of anemia, and this leads to poor outcomes and poor quality of life. We know that there are several intravenous iron formulations available to clinicians, but iron deficiency remains undertreated. So how we can better treat iron deficiency and are the available iron formulation interchangeable? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Giuseppe Rosano. And I'm Dr. Peter Martins. And I'm Dr. Cam Kalantarzade, a nephrologist and a faculty member at University of California, Irvine, Division of Nephrology, Hypertension, and Kidney Transplantation. So, Camille, I think the treatment of our heart failure patients with iron deficiency has come quite a way in the last couple of decades. To say that the intravenous iron products of today are different from back then would be quite the understatement. Now, that's being said, let's begin our discussion with how IV iron therapy has changed over time. What are your insights into the differences between modern formulations? Well, historical progression from non-complex polynuclear iron to iron carbohydrate complexes. This has safety and efficacy implications. IV iron carbohydrate products were developed after serious adverse events were seen after injection of IV salt in the past. And also iron mononuclear or polynuclear iron without carbohydrate ligands. So what happened, carbohydrate ligands were developed and added during the drug development processes to improve safety and efficacy of IV iron. However, there are still considerations about safety and efficacy. So there are differing IV iron manufacturing processes. The so-called, what, what we call physical chemical properties of IV iron complexes are determined by different factors. That could be product-specific carbohydrate ligand or the particle size and distribution or surface charge, morphology of the iron nanoparticles, all of this. But... Even slight modifications in any of these factors can result in variations in the physical chemical properties leading to substantial differences, differences in quality, efficacy, and safety. IV iron stability, for instance, pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, the deposition of iron in different organs, and the immunogenicity. So therefore, the differences between IV iron carbohydrate complexes do exist. Different pharmacologic effects of different surface characteristics are important. Carbohydrate ligand affects the rate and extent of uptake of iron carbohydrate complexes by the so-called mononuclear phagocytic systems, MPS. And there will be impact on the release of iron from the MPS to the pharmacologic size, target size, and the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic characteristics the rate and extent of iron exposure is linked to the carbohydrate ligands, and these subtle differences make major impacts. So carbohydrate moiety is important. Large carbohydrate ligands, the size of carbohydrates, 
And all of these things, therefore, have been seen in the form of clinical trials. So this is not just theory. We have seen that. Very interesting points. Do you have anything to add, Peter? Yeah, I always remember the iron formulations. They're like M&Ms. They're sweet on the outside and good stuff on the inside. So they have a carbon hydrate shell and the iron is in the middle. But actually, the type of carbon hydrate shell determines a lot of things. It determines whether you can have an anaphylactic reaction against it, which was predominantly for older high molecule weight dextrins. But they also determine the rate at which iron is released and the amount of iron that we can give in one take. Yeah, and this is very important, not just for efficacy, but also for safety, because it makes the iron products very different between them. And also their safety will allow the possibility of using in outpatients, even without resuscitation. Now, all of these are very important points in understanding the properties of different iron carbohydrate complexes. Now, Peter, I will ask you, what is the clinical significance of these differences in IV iron products? What do you think do the current guidelines recommend for treatment? So I think in the clinical practice, very often, the choice of the use of IV iron will be determined by local reimbursement and what is available in the hospital. But if in the ideal world that everything would have been available, I value two things. The first thing is the evidence. And the second thing is the practicality of the repletion. So in terms of the evidence, I think U.S. and European guidelines, they give a recommendation to use IV iron in a heart failure patient with a reduced ejection fraction below 45% if they're symptomatic of iron deficiency. And this to improve quality of life, exercise capacity, functional status, can also improve LV function, and a meta-analysis that at least reduces heart failure hospitalization. The other setting in which we use it are patients who were recently admitted with acute heart failure at the end of the hospitalization if their EF is below 50 to treat the recurrence of heart failure admissions. So both guidelines say that we need to treat it. The difference is that the U.S. guidelines say that you need to use IV iron versus the European guidelines, they say you need to use ferricarboxymaltose. And if we really look at the evidence, then most of that evidence is with ferricarboxymaltose, confirm HF, ferrHF, FECHF, confirm AHF, iron CRT, they have all been done with ferricarboxymaltose. And I think the European guidelines are very consistent. If we look at neurohormonal blockers, if a trial was neutral, like the best trial with a beta blocker, we don't recommend the use of bucidinol. If there's no evidence with NABIT, we don't recognize it. And I would also not be too quick to say there is a class effect. Estrogen and testosterone, they only differ one carbon atom, and men and women are totally different. The second thing I think is important is the practicality. And in that aspect, heart failure patients are different from patients like chronic kidney disease or cancer who frequently come to the hospital, for instance, for a dialysis session, and they will have prolonged IV access. In those patients, it makes sense. You can use other formulations, which you can give smaller doses like iron sucrose or gluconate, but that's not really practical in the setting of heart failure or patients typically only come for one short visit. So a formulation like ferricarboxymaltose, you can give high doses up to one gram and within 15 minutes. So they're very practical from that aspect. These are very important points. Do you have anything to add, Kamiya? There was a well-designed, well-conducted, randomized controlled trial known as REPAIR, Iron Deficiency Anemia Study. This was a study in over 2,500 persons with chronic kidney disease not on dialysis, with estimated GFR, glomerular filtration rate, below 30. Patients were randomized to carboxy, 
maltose, ferricarboxy maltose 750 times two injections seven days apart versus IV iron sucrose over 14 days, five injections. And this was a non-inferiority trial, a randomized open-level non-inferiority trials. And the results were quite impressive, suggesting efficacy and safety of pericarboxy maltose. Now, it is very important that you mention the quality of life because it's the effect on exercise capacity and quality of life of pericarboxy maltose have been proven constantly to be very, very significant. So that is something else that we need to add to the evidence on mortality and morbidity that we have gathered with this drug. Well, this has been certainly an excellent conversation. But before we wrap up, Peter, what's your take-home message for our audience? I think it's very important to remember that most patients will need more than one gram to really correct their deficit. And we need to use an evidence-based molecule that's capable of replenishing the total iron deficit. And you, Kamiya? So this is my take, that iron deficiency treatment options, of course, they include oral and IV iron. Persons with chronic kidney disease, with heart failure, and other pathologic conditions, they have iron deficiency, regardless of anemia. That's very important for us to note. And giving IV iron is convenient, but maybe associated with adverse events. These adverse events are seen traditionally with previous versions, old versions, old formats of IV iron, the advances in manufacturing carbohydrate moiety in a delicate format to iron in the form of ferricarboxyl maltose has allowed us to have access to safe and effective IV iron. So that's very important. These are very important points. I mean, both the effect on quality of life the effect on cardiovascular events, the tolerability issue, and safer use are all very important points for ferric carboxymaltose. And what is important is that the evidence that we have today in heart failure has been generated almost only with ferric carboxymaltose. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in. And thank you both, Dr. Peter Martens and Dr. Kaima Kalantazadek for joining me and for sharing all your valuable insight. It was great speaking with you today. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash heart failure. Thank you for listening.